welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. The book of Ruth. We've decided to call this No Ordinary Family um, for a very good reason. And that reason will become clearer the longer we get into the story. The central character of this book is about a girl by the name of Ruth. And the title in and of itself is a little bit of a paradox because Ruth herself was very ordinary and she lived a very ordinary life and she really just did some ordinary things. But the result was quite extraordinary. She did some extraordinary events came into some extraordinary connections. She met an extraordinary man by the name of Boaz. She married him. She had children to him. She becomes the great grandmother of King David and ends up in the family lineage of Jesus Christ himself. And this is no ordinary family. That is just a quick overview of where we're going to head in the next six weeks. But as with all good stories, they have a beginning. And I wonder if you would turn with me to the book of Ruth, reading from chapter 1 and verse 1, or you can follow me on the screen. The first part of our series, we've entitled, It's My Life, Isn't It? It's My Life, Isn't It? Anyone ever said that? Anyone ever heard somebody say that? It's my life, isn't it? I can do what I want to do and be what I want to be. After all, it's my life, isn't it? And so we've entitled today's series, part one, It's My Life. Let's read from Ruth 1, chapter 1, verse 1. In these days, sorry, in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man from Bethlehem in Judah gathered with his wife and his two sons. And they went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech and his wife's name was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. And they were Ephronites from Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died and she was left with the two sons. They married Moabite women one named Orpah and the other named Ruth. After they had lived there about 10 years, both Malon and Kilion also died and Naomi was left without her two sons and a husband. Here's the background. This was probably written about a thousand years ago, between 1011 BC and 931 BC. The author is unknown, although tradition says it was probably the prophet Samuel who did the writings. It was the lowest and the darkest time in Israel's history. It was a time when judges ruled because there was no king and because there was no king, people did as they saw fit. They lived in a place called Bethlehem, which means house of bread. And in stark contrast to the meaning of that name, Bethlehem was in famine. Then we see 
Elimelech pop up and his family. Elimelech simply means my Lord is king. Naomi means sweetheart or pleasant. Malon means sick. And Kilion means dying. So for Dave and Ildi, uh, as you've just announced that you are expecting baby number three, if it happens to be a young man, I would suggest you stay away from those two names. And what he did, because of this famine in the land, he decided to make an admirable decision to leave a place of famine for a place of food. That in and of itself is quite brave and it's quite admirable. However, it ends in absolute disaster. And so what I want to do today in my time with you as we open this series is look at some things I believe that we need to know when we are faced with making tough choices. How can you and I make better decisions? See, these stories in the Word of God aren't there just to entertain us. They are here for us to learn from. And so we have to delve into the story and say, how can we learn? We're not here to take the place of God and just judge Elimelech. That's not the the purpose of this story. The purpose is how can we learn? How can we be better off for other people's mistakes? How can we learn from other people's um, successes? How can we be better off in 2011 from a story that took place 3,000 years ago? And that's what we want to look at today. And the first thing I want to just highlight this morning, based upon what we read in the book of Ruth, is this, that it's our values that determine our decisions. The way to make wise decisions starts with understanding our value system because it's our values that determine our decisions. My question to you this morning is this, what do you value? What's a priority to you? What's important to you? For me, one of my values and one of the things that's really important to me is that I want to finish well. I want to finish strong. That's a value. How I end up in life is really, really important to me. And I don't know if it's important to you, but it's really important to me. And it should be important to you. How we finish should matter to each and every one of us. Alice in Wonderland, I don't know if you've ever read the book or seen the film, but there's this incredible little moment in the story of Alice in Wonderland. I don't know if you remember it. Alice comes to a fork in the road and it's there that she's forced to make a decision. And at the fork in the road, there's a cat. You know the story? And Alice says to the cat, will you tell me please which way I ought to go from here? The cat looks at her and says, that depends a good deal on where you want to get to. Alice responds, I don't much care where, To which the cat responds, then it doesn't matter which way you go. If you don't care how your life ends up, it doesn't matter what decision you make. But if you have an idea of where you want to end up, then your decisions are really, really important. If it doesn't matter to you whether you finish divorced or married, it doesn't matter, then you can do whatever you want to do. 
But as for me and my house, I want to grow old and wrinkly with the woman who I married in my youth. That's the woman I want to grow old and wrinkly with. That's how I want to finish my life. My marriage matters to me. It's a value of mine. And so as a result of that being the end, it determines the decisions I make now. See, we make the Word of God the enemy. We make God the enemy. We make pastors and preaching the enemy. Because we make it like we're being told what to do. I'm not here to tell anyone what to do. I'm here to simply ask you to think about your future and your life and determine what it is you want from your life and your future. And then we want to give you some help to help you get there. We're not here to tell you what to do. But I will say this, if you want to stay married and if you don't want to end in divorce, then there's some things that you have to do. It's not that you have to do them, but it's that you have to do them. Does that make sense? So if marriage is a priority to you as it is to me, there's some things I have to do. I can't just do anything I want to do. I can't be anything I want to be if I want to stay married to Kath. Is this making sense? Because our values determine our decisions. Elimelech was faced with famine. And he didn't look too far into the future. He just looked at his here and now. He couldn't look past the physical. And so he made a decision based upon the present and he made a decision based upon the physical. He didn't consider anything else in the decision-making process. He went for temporary relief. And in his attempt to move quickly, he didn't evaluate the emotional, relational and spiritual implications of his decisions. His attitude is, it's my life and I'll do what I want. And in contrast to his name, my Lord is King, he made his own decisions and didn't consult God at all. He leaves God totally out of the equation and decides to go to Moab. Now Moab and the Moabites were descendants of Lot's, Lot and his daughter. Lot had an incestuous relationship with his daughter and it was from that line that the Moab, Moabite, uh, Moab, <laughs> the Moabites were formed. And the Moabites were a despised people and they were the enemies of God. And they worshipped a different God than Jehovah. They worshipped other gods. And Elimelech, in his desire to have temporary relief in the here and now, and to get some physical relief, decides to go to a place where they worship foreign gods. And as a result of only thinking about the physical, it leads and ends in disaster. He doesn't think about the spiritual implications. I cannot tell you how many times we've had people just up and leave. It could be to another house, another city, another nation without contemplating anything other than I want to go where it's warmer. I want to go where there's more work. 
I want to go where there's more single ladies. It seems shallow, doesn't it? Our ministry life, peaked and vouch for this, is filled with people making decisions based only on those things. And they said, we're going to move to so-and-so. We're going to move to this place. And I said, is there a great church there? And they look at it like, what's that got to do with anything? What's, what's that got to do with anything? I think it's got everything to do with everything. When it comes to making good decisions, you have to settle what is important to you. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, it says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you received from God? You are not your own. You can't just do whatever you want to do. You can't just be whatever you want to be. Because you were bought with a price. And therefore, honour God with your body. Honour God with your money. Honour God with your time. Honour God with your decisions that you make about your future. As Christians, we're not our own. Unfortunately, many Christians just live that way and make their own decisions without ever contemplating the spiritual relational or emotional implications on the decisions you make. Number two, just because it seems right, it doesn't mean it is. This is what Elimelech said to himself. We will go down to Moab and live there for a while. That's what he said. We will live there for a while, just a while. And I don't know about you, but that seems reasonable enough. That makes sense. We're just going to go down there while there's no food in Bethlehem. We're going to come back. It's just for a little while. Makes sense, doesn't it? How many can honestly say that seems right? That makes sense. How about this one? I don't want to give my life to Jesus yet. I'm just going to play the field, play around. And when I'm a bit older, I'm going to, you know, a little bit later in time, I'm going to give my life to Jesus then. That seems pretty good. How many have heard that before? It may seem right. It may sound right. It may even make a lot of sense to you. But right is not always enough. Because even a right way can still lead to death. In Proverbs 16 verse 25, it says there is a way. There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. That scripture was quite literally fulfilled in Elimelech's life. It seemed right and it ended up in his death. Just because it seems right, it doesn't mean it is right. You see, when it comes to making good decisions, we've got to stop thinking in terms of right and wrong. I've shared these thoughts before, but it's worth sharing them again. Andy Stanley says this, that the best question you can ever ask is this, not am I free, not am I right, or is it wrong? 
But the first question you can ever ask yourself is this, is it wise? Is it wise? And then he goes on to say that every one of us should write this down. In light of blank, is it wise? And for every decision we make, we need to fill in that blank. In light of eternity, is it wise to ignore God? In light of my financial reality, is it wise to buy this or that? In light of your financial reality, not in light of what everyone else is doing, but in light of your financial reality, is it wise for me? This is why the Bible says in Corinthians, it's not good that we compare ourselves to somebody else. Because you know what? Somebody else could be making a very wise decision financially because of where they're at financially. But if you do the same thing, it's not going to be wise for you. So in light of my financial reality, is it wise? In light of my emotional reality, is it wise? I remember when the girls were going to India last year and Sam came to Kath and said, I've got this book I'm going to read on the plane. And it was a very uh, emotive book. And Kath looked at this book and said, Sam, in light of where you're going, in light of the emotional roller coaster that you're going to be on in the country of India, a place of new people and new smells and new sights, I don't think it's wise that you read this book. That was not a shot at the book. That was not a shot at the author. That was wisdom for the time. So Kath advised Sam not to take that book on that trip, but to come home from India and read it later. It wasn't about right or wrong. You're not going to find a scripture. Should Sam read that book in the Bible? It's not going to be there. But wisdom can help us make some really great decisions. In light of my relational reality, is it wise? I'm going to be careful with this next illustration because this couple is in the room and so I won't look at them. But uh, recently we were talking and they said to me, hey, I've recently joined Facebook and some old girlfriends have got in touch with me. What should I do with them? Now, I've had that happen to me. Some old girlfriends have wanted to get in contact with me and I've befriended them and, and we've even had them over for dinner and got them to meet the family and got them to meet my wife and, and we're using that as an incredible opportunity to reach out to them. Is that the advice for everybody? This is how I answered that couple. I looked at the person who was telling me this and looked straight at the wife and saw her face and said, in light of your relational reality, delete every one of them. I said, this is not a policy of our church. See, we've got to stop thinking in terms of policies. What's, church, what's Victory's policy on this? What's Victory's policy on that? We don't have a lot of policies. The Bible says that the sons of God are led by the Spirit of God. I want to be led by the Spirit of God. 
And I want to be a, have a, a church that's being led by the Spirit that one person can do this and it'd be right and somebody else not do it and that'd be right for them. Because no one knows us more intimately than God. And so I said, this is my advice to you. Please don't abuse my advice to you. This is not something I'm putting on everybody. It's not a policy of our church. But for you and your house, delete them and delete them now. I believe that was wise for them. I don't know what they've done with that advice. But I do know that there was some wisdom in the advice given for where they're at. Does that make sense? So every one of you, I think, should have, in light of blank, is it wise? And whenever you come up to make decisions, just fill in the blank and then reflect upon the wisdom of the pros and the cons in the decisions that you're making. In Proverbs 4 verse 7, it says, Wisdom is supreme, therefore get wisdom, though it costs you all that you have. Get understanding. Oh, how Elimelech's life could have been oh so different if he'd just done some of these things. We're not here to judge him. We're here to learn from his life. My last point this morning is this, when it comes to making Wise decisions, you need the proper people and they'll bring the proper perspective. See, there's no mention in Elimelech's life that he got advice from anybody. Only that he just did his own thing. And in Proverbs chapter 11, verse 14, it says, Where there is no counsel, the people fall. But in the multitude of counsellors, there's safety. My question to you is this. Who do you allow to speak in your life? See, the the nature of this proverb is not that you just let anybody speak into your life. The butcher, the baker, the candlestick maker. It's not about that. Unless, of course, if you want to buy candles, I suppose. But it's about trusted friends. It's about friends that are friends to your future. It's about people that aren't just button pushers. It's about people that are experts in their field. Having them speak into your life. See, the biggest hindrance to receiving wisdom is that we don't ask the right people, we don't listen to the right advice, and we don't act in the right way. And so I want to say to you, you've got to find the right people. You know, it's funny, a few weeks ago, I mentioned that Kath and I are making a decision, and from then on, it's like everyone's trying to work out what is that decision. I'm just going to tell you, because I'm not trying to hide anything. I was just trying not to make a big deal of it. But we've been looking at purchasing a new home. Somebody just whispered out, I told you, I knew it was that, I knew, I, that's what I thought. Okay, if you did, well done. Great. Not a big deal for us. But we've been looking, and we're still looking slash thinking. We didn't just see a home we like and just fall in love with it and got to have it. But over the last few weeks, possibly even months now, we've been seeking the right people's advice to make a decision that is based upon wisdom. And I don't have all the information I need to make a wise decision. And so I seek out experts. I've sought out the help of five different people. 
based upon their areas of expertise. And I remember going to Andre, who's involved in real estate, and asking him some questions. And he said he's been amazed in watching me and the way I've responded and deferred to his wisdom in that situation. He said he's learned as much watching me in, in that moment as he has just listening to me preach. Because I said to him, I said, mate, I want you to know that my heart is not set on anything. So you can't go to someone and ask when you've already made up your mind. Don't waste somebody's time. I said, Andre, I would be wasting your time if I've already made up my mind. I want you to know we've seen the block of land. I want you to know we've seen this. I want, but we're not set on anything. I can walk away from it all. I'm not emotionally attached to anything. That's the time you get advice. You don't wait till you've got the ring on the girl's finger and say, what do you think of me marrying her? It's like, forget it, it's too late. And we've had that. We have that even recently. We're meant to be excited that a girl is getting married to a guy that we don't know. It takes the fun out of getting excited. It just does. How can you really get excited for somebody that's going to marry someone you don't know? How? Isn't that awesome? He could be an axe murderer. And so I've gone to Andre and I've asked about a number of things. I've gone to some financial advice experts. I've gone to some market trend experts. But even those things aren't enough. Because I'm a spiritual being. And I need to make a good spiritual decision as well. And so I've opened myself up to a couple of pastors in the decision-making process. That if we decide to go ahead with this decision, it will be a well-thought-out, well-prayed-out, well-waited-upon, well-saturated decision. Not just a quick decision like Elimelech who just bolted for Moab. I would much rather stay where we are than to have a nice, bigger, newer, whatever it is and lose a sense of peace and purpose for my life. The Bible says, oh, it's better to be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than spend it elsewhere. And so when it comes to making wise decisions, you've got to find the right people. You've got to listen to the right advice. And the reason we don't listen is because we develop a stronghold from our own perspective. We've already got our minds made up. We're not open. Some people are very cynical of church. And you can't convince somebody who refuses to be convinced. And so they come to church 
with their own perspective and their own slant based upon what they've seen as a young man or a young woman growing up. And they bring their perspective and they don't listen to one thing. We had a guy come to church recently and he came to just prove us wrong. And prove us wrong he did in his own mind. What can you do? How can I give anybody good advice if they refuse to listen based upon preconceived ideas? How can you receive the advice of a pastor or a friend if you're convinced they don't love you and they haven't got the best for you in mind? You'll never receive it for what it was intended. I'm amazed how often my words get twisted, not because of what I said, but because of how people perceived. You say to someone, I love you, and they can't hear it. And so we need to ask the right people. We need to listen to the right advice. And we need to act upon the wisdom that we receive. When it comes for me making decisions, I've got people in my life that I'm going to ultimately defer to based upon their wisdom. I have never made a major decision in my life without these three things being in place. I remember as a young man, 16 years of age, got my P's. I got my P's two months, two weeks after my 16th birthday. I got my L's on my 16th birthday. I got my P's as the day I could. And I never failed my L's and I never failed my P's. I was, I was like, as, as, as quick as you could get your license, I got it. Now I needed a car. Here's the thing. I don't know anything about cars. I just know what color I like. And so I saw this car I liked and I wanted this car. And I'd saved up a, enough money to get this car that I wanted. And I remember having this thought, what do I really know about cars? And so I remember going across the road to Uncle John, who was a mechanic, who knew me and knew the money I had, and he started looking for a car for me. And the cars he started looking at weren't the cars I really wanted. But he said, you're a young man, you don't have a lot of money, what you need is reliability, you don't need looks, you need a reliable car. And we found a reliable car. It was a 1974 Toyota Corona. Ugly. Ugly. He said, look, man, we can put some mags on it. We can put a, steering, a sports steering wheel on it. I'm thinking it's still going to be a 1974 Toyota Corona. But you know what? This is what I did as a 16-year-old. Who thinks he, 16-year-olds, we think we know it all. This is what I did. I deferred to his wisdom. And I did put the mags on it. And I did put a sports steering wheel on it. And I did put a spoiler on it. And I did, pa- and I did paint it several times. At one stage it was bright yellow with pink, blue, red, green stripes going all over it. That's what I did. And it was still a 1974 Toyota Corona. <laughs> But you know what? Six years later, I went to sell that car. I paid two and a half thousand for it. 
Six years earlier. Six years later, I sold it for $2,600. I made money. Who makes money on a car six years later? And I saved a whole heap of money. And by the age I was of 19, I'd saved $25,000 and bought my first home. Because I didn't waste it on cars. By the time I was 27, we owned a home freehold. I never, ever would be able to stand up here and tell you that story if I just bought the red sports car that I had my eye on. And what's so amazing to me is that you make a few decisions like that and then people talk about my wisdom. If I have any wisdom... It's a conglomeration of all the other people's wisdom that I've drawn from over the years. In this environment, honestly, and the wisdom that's in this room, it's almost inexcusable to make bad decisions. It just simply tells me that you haven't connected with the right people yet. And I want to encourage you, young and old, Because young can learn from old and old can learn from young. To connect with the right people in order to help you make the wisest decision. If I'd gone ahead and bought my red sports car, does that mean I'm going to hell and Jesus wouldn't love me? Not at all. Got nothing to do with it. It just means that we wouldn't be in the situation we are financially. Maybe not spiritually, maybe not a whole heap of things. Maybe if I bought the red sports car in my immaturity and my newness to driving, maybe I would be quite literally dead. A way that seems right can end up wrapping you around a tree. Let's take these stories, in particular the story of Ruth, over these next few weeks, seriously. Let's not sit in, the, sit in the seat of judgment and judging these people, but let's learn from their lives that we might go ahead and make some great decisions. Can our musicians please come? The story starts with it was a time of judges and there was no king and they did as they saw fit. When you have no ruler, when you have no king, when you have no leader in your life, you do whatever you want. And Israel went through the darkest and bleakest time in their history because there was no king, there was no ruler, and they did as they saw fit. People often throw at me, if God's a God of love, why do bad things happen? As if somehow God is orchestrating all the bad things. As if God is in heaven rubbing his hands together, just planning bad thing after bad thing after bad thing after bad thing. How about we just take a moment to reflect and think about what's really happening here. God in his love and his mercy gave us a book, gave us prophets, gave us priests, gave us his son. To show us a better way to live. 
He's given us the church in the last 2,000 years. But in all that time, we have people who refuse to defer to God's wisdom. And they live with no king, no leader, no ruler, and they do as they see fit. And we see the anarchy that we see in the world today. Not because God doesn't care, not because God doesn't love, but because people don't ask, people don't listen, and people don't implement anything that God has said. That can all change. I believe this nation can be turned around in a matter of months if we just begin to humble ourselves and ask God for help and listen to what he's really saying. Don't listen with preconceived ideas. Listen to what he's really saying and then begin to act upon the word of God. Our life would change. It really would. The wisest decision that you can ever make in light of eternity is bowing the knee and surrendering to God's way. This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen and God bless.